Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Welcome back to the Lantern Rouge Cycling Podcast for our Christmas Q&A special. Benji's got the Christmas special jumper on. Uh, if you're watching on YouTube, I've got the Tug Buddy t-shirt ready to go uh, because you're my Christmas present, Benji. Wow. Uh, <laughs> carrying me Mate. around all year. I was told three hours ago, wear your Christmas sweaters. And this man slept yeah, well. through that notification. Yeah, you can't. You, <laughs> yeah, but it's not news to you. That, well, actually, no, I am awake by then. I slept in this morning. Uh, but yeah, that was 4.45, 4.15 that text came through. So <laughs> I, got, I can't procure it in the, in, the, in the preceding three hours. There's not much I can do. It's also in the middle of summer here. So... I wouldn't make it through that podcast wearing a sweater, maybe sauna goals. Excuses is yeah, what I hear city. here. city. Um, but anyway, this is going to be a QA. and a We've done a few of these in the past. We put out some uh, feelers on Twitter, etc. for what questions we should answer. We've introduced uh, a fair few of those ones that we've selected, as well as uh, a few overall ones uh, we have at the start, which we'll start with. So, But we're going to, you know, things like, where would Val- Valverde have... What would you have achieved in 2023? What transfers we'd like to see? What we'd like to change the world to a calendar? What was our favorite race? Uh, things like that, as well as some stuff, some meta stuff about LRCP. But what are our 2024 aims? Uh, on This is the first question. What are our 2024 aims to level up LRCP? And I think uh, for clarity, we've done the content planning for 2024 already. Ooh. Nothing of the core content is changing, which is probably happy news for, if you're listening to this podcast, I assume you like it. Uh, happy news for, I, I'm happy about it too. World Tour races, uh, men and women's World Tour race coverage, previews of the Grand Tours, previews of the monuments, off-season content like we've been doing, uh, that is not changing uh, for the most part, Benji. But we are introducing, what did we decide it was going to be? A weekly show. Yeah, well, we're, we're definitely introducing something like that. It's like, to be clear, every single year we try to level up the podcast in some way, as in the f- we didn't even have our videos, so you couldn't even see our faces. And that got updated a year later, and then we started having the live show last year and also the live streams after races. So the next level up is that we feel like there's something missing where we can't respond to news in the sport as quickly as we, for example, could do if we have a bi-weekly show, for example. We don't know if it's weekly or bi-weekly yet. That's the only thing we're not sure about yet. But something where we can respond to ongoing news within the sport and certain topical things we can discuss because otherwise it's always racing, racing, racing. And then the last five minutes of a podcast, we start discussing like a topic and some people might have fallen asleep by then. So, hey. Yeah, it's still like... There's a lot of breaking news that maybe doesn't qualify for an emergency podcast. That is interesting news that we'd like to talk about throughout the year. There's also a lot of races which, yeah. For example, the Richard Plugger versus Muddy Old Beergate. That's a funny topic to talk about. That's a great five minute thing, yeah. (laughs) But we didn't. (laughs) Yeah. And yeah, so, and there's also a lot of races, frankly, which not pointing any fingers uh and we can see the data so i'm sure you know this it always people who are fans of a particular race say, oh, how could you not cover every stage but like we can see the data of what people are interested yeah. in year in now four seasons of recaps Crazy. we can see uh not every race deserves every stage coverage or merits it uh we also don't want to have your feed you know daily podcasts in your feed that you don't necessarily can catch up to so we don't want to oversaturate people either so maybe sometimes it's better to in a weekly recap do a 10 12 minute recap of an overall one week race or even races that aren't world tour that do merit it algarve is going to have hitters in it next year 
Yes. We're not doing daily coverage, Burgos. but I'd love to talk about it for 10 minutes. Burgos, yep. Those type of races really deserve the coverage, and we often feel like they're kind of missed out on because we're having to focus yeah. on these specific Tour de Polonia-style races that, let's be honest about it, Polonia is a bit less interesting than Algarve and, for example, Burgos, to me personally. Or so Valencia or Andalusia. The races with a real start list, something I'm really hyped about, and go into those a lot more. So, yeah, that's one of the things we're improving. We're also coming together in March, April. Can we talk about that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So the big plans. This is probably the, the weekly show is going to be a hit. Is going to is going to work well. I'm going to we're going to enjoy that. I think that's very yeah. aligned with already our core content. Uh, but the the big change is going to be, uh sort of for want of a better word irl content we did a test of this with the lrcp hill climb challenge uh which yeah. we literally just right walked out the door of my house or rolled out the door of the house luke on the iphone recording it me on the iphone recording at home benji with the insta 360 on the front of the bike a hundred thousand views and i whipped up the edit in you know a couple of hours and so we're, we're taking that as a proof of concept that for, for whatever reason, people like what liked watching us riding around, <laughs> talk, you know, talking a bit of rubbish. So uh, in March, we're going to go to Belgium. Uh, we're still ironing out some of the details for that. In March, we're going to go to Belgium and uh, check out the parkour of Flanders uh, and also maybe some other... Yes, yeah, I, I can show Benji some stuff in Belgium. He can show me some stuff in Belgium. Uh, and then... TBD on uh, Florence for the tour and uh, what else was there? The Giro and other things. So that's something else we're trying to do for 2024, but that's got a lot more logistical uh, planning in it, as well as live shows, trying to make more of them, uh, a series of live shows happen as well, but that's still in the planning phase. But yeah, that's all the cards on the table for the different things you want to do in 24. We did a lot of changes in 20. 23 live streaming etc and i think that comes takes us into what achievements are we most proud of in 2023 wait yes one more thing about the previous question we launched our merch during the was it the vuelta the start of the vuelta yes. what are our plans when it comes to merge going forward is that something we want to do on a yearly basis or do we have that planned more yeah so probably more regular pushes of that working with lumens to do some updated designs I heard people's feedback that they, they love the designs and the merch is done really, really well. Yeah. Uh, but maybe people want a bit more of a low-key shirt that they can wear more often uh, or yeah. wear, you know, out. So we're, we, like we took, this Christmas took, sweater. Yeah, like that, that beautiful uh, aquamarine Christmas sweater. Uh, so, it's like carpet. <laughs> <laughs> so maybe we'll have a few more designs coming out uh, as well next year and uh, yeah, we'll probably drop it more regularly. I mean, it's it's still available for sale, and the Christmas sales have been really, really good. Uh, and so thanks for your support uh, on the merch. It's been fantastic, and it's been great to see people wearing it, particularly when we went to Ruler Live. To see people wearing the merch was awesome. Uh, so, yeah, that's that's also in the works. But that was something new we did in 2023. But what achievements are we most proud of in 2023? Uh, I think I, I was worried, Benji, at the end of 22. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I was like, how big can an audience be get for a semi, yeah, quite a niche podcast, quite an analytical podcast. And the 2023 growth and support was really outstanding and like blew yeah. me away uh, in terms of the numbers and everything like that. So um, like our best year ever by far, uh, probably the most enjoyable year I've had with the podcast as well. I think it went, it was pretty, it was relatively stress-free yeah. for me too. So that's what I'm happiest about, just having fun with it, doing different stuff, changing it up, more pods together. Thought it was good. Yeah, the, the overall feeling of having the community enjoy what we make is major for us. And the fact that we internally can feel like we always have like something that we've leveled up versus previous years and people accept those changes and are happy with the things that we change along the way. That's always motivating to see that we're doing the right thing and that we've we've got things coming out that people are happy to see. But if we look at like individual things with it, I think the, the in real video that we did on the bike, that's a video that I, I'm kind of proud of, not solely because it was a video that did well, but also because it was fun riding together, making content about that. And even for it, well, if we 
purely take a look at numbers and the Remco interview was a was a hit, obviously. But it's like, how do I say this? That's a great thing, but I, I enjoy the overall feeling of the community enjoying the podcast. The fact that somehow this podcast is still exponentially growing shocks me to the core every single time. And that's all thanks to you guys. So thank you very much for the support over the last year. Yeah, it's crazy when you see like the Spotify wrapped. It's crazy to see the numbers <laughs> and it's, it's, it's really, terrifying. yeah, it's fantastic. But I really, sometimes I try not to think about it too much, to be honest, because I, I still want to keep it like me and you just talking to each other through the webcams, you know? Uh, I agree. <laughs> when, I, when I start imagining the amount of people that are on like the Spotify analytics and so forth, I start yeah. getting imposter syndrome again, where like for a few days I'm like, I'm not really worth listening to for these people, <laughs> which is weird. I know because, but hey, hey, it's fun. We're two dudes talking about cycling, and that's the beauty of it. I think the the piece of content I'm most proud of is the Remco interview. That yeah. like was a week. Uh, Benji set that up, and then we did a lot of planning, and uh, we really worked hard as a whole team with Luke to to make that happen. And it went swimmingly without a hitch. And because you sort of you got one shot at these things, yeah. Like you can't drive up. Cause it's like, it's, it's in Andorra, it was in Andorra, but it's not next to my house. It's like a 50 minute drive up the top. You know, these guys have got one slot and you can't be like, ah, oh, sorry, my, my camera's not working. Can we redo it? Or like, you know, you gotta make it happen. And especially when it's going to be such a long interview. And yeah, I think that was, uh, that's what I'm probably most proud of. Uh, that piece of content was our biggest piece of content ever, and um, and not more than just that. It was like a really, I think, just a really good piece of content. Like it sort of broke through to the yeah. broader media, and lots of people enjoyed it, and I enjoyed making it. Uh, so that, that's what I'm probably most proud of ever in LRCP. I fully agree, and it feels like we we were able to bring someone's story in the way it portrays who they really were, and I feel like. That's different compared to, I had, I had a bit of a bittersweet feeling a week later when there were just traditional media platforms that were just pulling stuff out of context from the same interview. And I felt like on those moments, you kind of feel bad of like, okay, this writer opened up for two hours straight, said all these things, and then something's being pulled out of context and portrayed a way that it's not. And uh, that that's a bit annoying, but the overall feeling about the entire experience also as a team and just a major shout out to Luke as well, because he works behind the scenes, yeah. but he does a lot of stuff for us. And it's not just, oh, coming with us to Andorra and so forth to help record things like the technical setups that he makes for these podcasts, whether it's remote podcasts or actually in person. And also like the, the technical issues that he helps resolve when, when Patrick forgets the basic technological uh, information. <laughs> well, that's brilliant. <laughs> and also, you know, Turning one of the requirements for producing this podcast is fast turnaround, and that's yep. a two-hour interview, uh, and we, you know, you have the edit done by within twenty-four hours in a two-hour interview. Uh, so yeah, big shout out to Luke, shout out to Remco, and uh, thanks to everyone that listened to it. Uh, what are our individual wor individual work ambitions in twenty twenty-four? Uh, just keep on keeping on for me. <laughs> it's yeah. kind of just. I got the Lantern Rouge channel with the highlights. That's a that's a lot of work. That's probably I, I do. That's probably that's more hours of my time than than LRCP. Uh, it's a lot of work. And then still working for Yumbo Visma. Obviously, we'll talk about that more in a second. And then LRCP. So just kind of balancing all that uh, and keeping it all going. Really. Yep. I get that. On mine, it's it's relatively similar. It's different kind of content that I make outside of of the podcast, I feel like LRCP is always like the thing I really am hyped about because it's something I do with people. As in, sometimes I feel like being a YouTuber on my own channel gets a bit lonely that I kind of need the collaboration in LRCP. Is that, does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, I'm the same. I sit there <laughs> and do an analysis video and not talk to anyone. Yeah, three, three days in a row editing from like the moment I wake up till like 9 p.m. in the evening, sorry, man, but I enjoy it. I enjoy it a lot, but it is something about RCP that like makes me switch off. And this doesn't feel as much as work to me than making my YouTube videos on my own channel does necessarily. And like those two things are, are my focus as an LRCP and my videos on the Benji Nassen channel. And I guess that keeps going. I, I have no real 
ambitions necessarily to go into the, the sport of cycling again in the way that you are right now. But that's personally just because I want to keep my work-life balance a bit because I, I had moments in my life where my work-life balance was so fucked that I don't ever want to go back to that anymore. <laughs> yeah, and you moved countries as well this year. So yeah. that's a big thing as well. I got, I got married, etc. Uh, this is a spicy one. Personal fix. Well, not really spicy. Personal fitness goals. What are, what are they in 2024? I've been on a massive fitness kick since I got back to Australia. I've been running a, like a thousand calorie deficit a day and just training a lot, doing, uh, sometimes I poke a bit of fun, but I have actually been doing the Inigo San Milan <laughs> training. I've been just on the zone too, or maybe Maffetone a little bit, but with some, uh, for the turbo, uh, some, some uh, uh, <laughs> threshold efforts every uh, here and there. No, no anaerobic at all, because that's the problem. I, I look back at my training. It was a long story. I was, I'm not really getting to a point, but I look back at my training when I was super fit. It was junk. 2015, 16. <laughs> oh my god! I look, I was like, what the fuck was I doing? Like, <laughs> so bad. Uh, bad. I was skinny and fit, but yeah, just. What do you reckon? Should I get people to guess? Guess my 60-minute power in 2020. This time in 2024, Benji, what's per kilo? What's your well, guess? Keep in mind that his 50-second power is 1,500 watts. Yeah. <laughs> but, I, but my aerobic, that's the problem. Too anaerobic. Got to build up the aerobic. 60-minute power is 259 watts. Right now. <laughs> Am I wrong? Yeah, yeah, about 260, 265, and I haven't hey, been right. Hey, what a guess. That was a pretty good uh, guess. That's a, that's a 73 kilos. Yeah, okay. So, let me do some quick maths. 260 is pretty riveting. 3.5 watts <laughs> per kilo, let's say. Let's, let's round down to 255. So when are you getting so, to four? Oh, probably like two weeks, three weeks. <laughs> yeah, but when you when you're, you're unfit saying. and you got a lot of weight to lose, then mm -hmm. you, you just lose weight. Like, um, yeah, that's part of my my aim for 2024: losing weight. As in, I had this year in 2022 where I lost 20 kilos, and 2022 was a full stagnation because I didn't look after my nutrition enough. And I want to start doing that again from the first of January because somehow working in months works for me in my head. So. I'll kickstart it then again, calorie counting a bit. I, I don't advise that to people, but I know it works for me. So that's why uh, I tend to do it. And next year, I want to lose 10 kilos so that I'm under 100 kgs because that would be a, a nice spot to be in, in, uh, in my opinion. And when it comes to my actual like fitness goals, it kind of goes like hand in hand with the content I make on my own channel, as in everything I do there is partially, mostly my cycling journey. and. Because of that, I feel like make does it question making content on my own YouTube channel for me gives me accountability that I have to do it. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. So I actually <laughs> been I've been making vlogs, didn't publicize them anywhere. Didn't put <laughs> I've been making them so I have my own like a few people found them um through the Lantern Rouge Discord and they, I've been posting occasional vlogs of my fitness journey, just in trash format, just so I have like the footage there, so yeah. I can look back on it. But yeah, my goal is five and a half watts per kilo FTP in in a year. Very ambitious, unlikely, and probably I like running a lot, so probably like a sixteen and a half minute five k. How about this? If you achieve your goal, would you be down to make at the end of the journey a short video with sections of your vlog to show your journey? Yeah, that's also the point is like I got the footage okay. pre-cut in and like Nice. I can do like I did a DEXA scan and it said it said I was so fat. It's like, okay. <laughs> Man. That's rude. I was like, look at rude? you and look at me, then shut up about fat. <laughs> I know, that's what I mean. I was like, I thought I look I mean like okay shape. Like I'm not and the DEXA scan so maybe that's I'd never done one before. Or maybe yeah, it was I was pretty shocked actually, but the data doesn't lie um but anyway we'll move on <laughs> both of us are pretty motivated i think <laughs> i'm in a pretty mentally good place about it like i don't i don't beat myself up about it you just, all you can do is improve every day a little bit uh some audience questions now we've spoken enough about ourselves uh well not yet uh this is one of them was how does lrcp make money 
I think, a uh, few, three different ways, mate. Oh, four different ways, or at least mainly. So, uh, advertising, like passive advertising. So that's the YouTube AdSense. When you click on the YouTube video, we've recently uh, moved to a different podcast hosting platform. So we do have the same now advertising on podcast players that is sort of on YouTube, uh, which is, you know, that's been a change and we try to make that as seamless as possible and uh, as less invasive as possible. But that is, that was important for us to do as well for the sustainability of the podcast. Yeah. Uh, so that's one. Two is direct advertising, which you're all familiar with, like Zwift, Lacole, Morton, etc. in the past. And... Uh, what other ways, Benji? Merchandise. So merch. merch was also very, very important. That was, we were really happy with how that went, and thanks to all, all your support on the merch. Uh, it's also something we can control, and yep. some donations as well. Uh, but that's... Uh, uh, so I don't see that as like as a core revenue stream. Yeah. Uh, that's just... It's there if, if you don't people want, feel that we way. We don't want to depend on that, you know? No, no. That's why I introduced, we introduced the merch. Is there any other way? I think that's the... That's the main things. It adds how, and it's also like, how would you see percentage of a, because like, how important is merch versus brand deals versus ad revenue these days in general? Uh, uh, try to make it sort of even between all of them so that mm -hmm. if there's like an advertising dip, then you, you sort of got the merch to prop you up. Yeah. It's probably like, no, the merch isn't like third. The merch isn't a third yet, though. Um, but yeah, advertising is the main is the main one. Yeah, uh, is the big one. Uh, okay, questions. Other questions about us from the audience. Uh, you can probably kick us off, Benji. The especially as there was recent news this week. The collaboration with Yumbo Visma. How did the work relationship between Visma and the two of us begin? It actually goes back to um. Oh, was it? February-ish in 2022, where I think I got a phone call initially that someone at Yumbo saw something we made. Uh, I'm guessing that that is your YouTube video on the Lantern Rouge channel. I'm not certain about it. Could also be a podcast. Uh, Grisha from Yumbo Visma had seen that, and they were interested in looking for a, a video analyst. And I was kind of like, well, if, if they saw LRCP stuff, then I should get Patrick involved, because he knows just about, if not more about this stuff than I do. So we came together and eventually started collaborating with Jumbo Visma as video analysts and tactical consultants is the rough description I would describe what we did in 2022. And that kind of evolved from there through the classics and the Twitter fronts. And the most important thing is that towards the end of 2022, I dipped out of the journey in, uh, in December, roughly. And you continued onwards, you extended for two years and how I reflect on that is also a question. How do I reflect on quitting Yumbo Visma at the end of 2022? It's like, I chose to do that because I wanted to focus on being a content creator. I felt like, it's weird to say, because I know that a lot of people would fight for doing something like that for a sport and for, for a team in the, the world of cycling. But sometimes I felt like what I was doing was a bit of an opportunity cost of me making content on my own channel, which is weird to say. I just, I just enjoyed that more. And... I was thinking about, oh, I could use this time doing something I enjoy a little bit more. And that's a decision I made and I still still stand by that because what I ended up doing is expanding my content, which I am really happy about in hindsight. And now there's been a recent announcement on the on the Visma social media stuff that there's a oh Mr. Patrick Bro has has joined the the coaching stuff was the was the thing. And I, I can't remember the actual title they gave you, but it was a pretty badass title. But how, what has that actual announcement changed? Because has, has it actually affected your role or has it affected the change we make in our content or just overall? No, it's, so it's more just, yeah, as you said, initially we're doing like video analysis and then it, it's expanded a lot for me and I was doing a lot more work this off season. So yeah. nothing in the season really changed, but I was doing a lot more work with like, season planning for 2024 and um yeah that, so that was that was kind of busy so moraine and i decided it was better to like formalize yeah. uh the the relationship a little bit more and also have 
it's now useful to have that that press release so if people ask what i do uh it's right there uh and also so we can that that's a lot easier as well um so yeah it was more just it doesn't change what the work i was doing it's still mm -hmm. video analysis uh scouting data analysis some leadership season the other race thing? planning <laughs> yeah. the thing in the leadership <laughs> i was like yeah that's an epic title <laughs> i think that just but, that just means i work with the leadership team but yeah it's the contract for me is still the same in regards to i can say what i like on the podcast the podcast is obviously completely siloed from it um and so nothing changes in that respect so from your perspective the way the podcast and the vismus side by side work worked in 2023 this year nothing changes for 24 and the podcast for me is still the main priority and focus and as we just had a long discussion about the content we're planning yeah. for 2024 <laughs> uh, so it was more just like it was clear that given the number of people and, and thanks very much to everyone that did reach out to me yeah. and, and was very kind it was, it was very nice actually to see all the positive messages and response and people that messaged me thanks a lot for that i really appreciate it uh, but given how many of those people there were, I think it was a good idea for them to put out. And Moraine and I thought it was a good idea to put out uh, that press release just to sort of draw a bow on it. To me, it felt like you were finally getting the credit you deserved for the work that you've also been doing already. And that matters to me because I know you, you're you a hardworking man in the sport of cycling when it comes to the podcast and when it comes to everything you do, you, you, you put your 100% behind whatever you do. And I like seeing you getting credit for that. So that's the part I like the most about it. Yeah, it was nice. I thought it was good. And it was <laughs> nice to see all the positive feedback. But yeah, podcast moves on. And I can still say what I want. Uh, and Benji certainly will as well. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> the, the questions about cycling now, the good ones. Uh, who are the first five riders to come, that come to mind if you had to make your own cycling hall of fame from the years you watch cycling? I'm doing it off the cuff. Peter Sagan, Chris Froome, Nibali. Yes! He's made it! <laughs> Kittle. Greg Van Avermaet. Greg Van Avermaet? Really? Yeah, Greg was fucking good. He's underrated, I think, historically. Holy fuck! How is he in that list? I, the names that come up to me is Cancellara. Contador? True. Froome? Sagan and Bornen. Fuck, I missed out Nibali. You hate GC riders, man. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a Flemish person, so Kinshalara and Bornen yeah. can't put that out of my head. Bear in mind, I only probably started cycling and watching cycling like 2014, so... Oh, okay. Uh, That's <laughs> how you missed scene. the Kinshalara Bornen. That's why otherwise Cav would well. be in there, you know? Oh, yeah. Uh, Forgot about Cav. Fuck. Yeah, yeah, but I missed. I sort of missed Cav's peak. Yeah, I didn't, uh, but I still forgot him. Yeah. Uh, to be honest, like a Hall of Fame would be more than five riders anyway. Like yeah. from that number, it'd be like five per year. Uh, what was the best race of twenty twenty three for me? This is an easy one. Stage six of the Tour de France. Uh, I think like Ooh. stage five, Vingegaard comes out. Puts a minute plus into Bogaccia. Everyone thinks the tour is over. Stage six, they go again on Tourmalet. 65Ks out, two hours left. They're there. Bogaccia hangs on. If he drops the wheel there, the tour's over. Van Aert rips it apart in the valley. Vingegaard goes again on Coltere. Going, 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 going. And then Pogaccia, bang. And I, that was the biggest, like, holy fuck moment for me of the year. And just this, <laughs> like... Pagatcha fighting back. I think that for me that that was the best race of the year. That stage. One of mine. I, I was doubting between three races, and the three races I was doubting about was RVV. The way Pogacar won that won one of the most impressive performances so I've seen dominant. in a very long time. Men's worlds. That was also a really bloody good race. Yeah, yeah. One forty k's. It opened at one forty k's. But I feel like. The only thing I had with the Worlds in Glasgow is that because it was such a twisty circuit and there's nothing like yeah. remarkable about the circuit in any position that it lacked a bit of structure. In I could some never shape tell where they were on the circuit. Yeah, yeah. And I felt like I could tell that a bit more in the women's race. 
And I'm going to say controversially that I think the women's race was really fucking good. And I'm going to give it to that. Yeah. And maybe it's because a Belgian one. But what are you going to do about it? Luke's going to edit that out. The Netherlands are trying to gang up on Kofeki, uh, but she got it done against her teammates. That was a yeah. good race as well. Uh, but yeah, it's stage six for me. What was your favorite individual performance in 2023? Uh, yeah, MVP Worlds was pretty special, like just to be that good, uh, to crash and then still keep taking time on the group behind was, uh, was crazy. So... That was a special performance. I wouldn't say, it was, again, I didn't enjoy... Like, that was yeah. a great race, but I didn't enjoy the parkour too much. I'll throw it to you to discuss, Benji, while I really try to think about it. Oh, there, there's multiple that I can think of. Like, I already said Pogacar's RVV run and so forth, but I'm going to go for, like, a, a Dark Horse one. Dwarsdorf Landeren or Lascano. Yeah, that's a, that's a great one. I the think for that, me, I use... Oh, oh sorry, go on. The way that he was with Kristoff ahead... Then was able to fight back and still finish on the podium. That in my head was like, that was a hell of a race by Lascano. And he was, he was arguably one of the stronger riders in the race, if not the strongest in that race. And I'm still sh that. Yeah, bro, I like uh, Juan Ayuso on Albula Pass. Obviously, that's, yeah. you know, a bittersweet stage uh, now. But that was a performance where I was like, wow, that's... Um... Yeah, like a really, really crazy performance from from Ayuso. Uh, probably Remco in uh, Remco in the TT Worlds. I thought Remco oh. TT. I thought the I thought the time trial World Championships was an outstanding race. The last half an hour of that was really, really exciting with Tarling, Ganner, and Remco. So that also, but probably yeah, Remco there. That was a that was a really good performance. So that's probably my one. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Uh, if Bala Valverde had ridden in 2023, what would he have achieved? 3,000 UCI points, second in flesh. <laughs> yeah. For sure, second in flesh. I flesh wasn't that quick up to Mur. Mur yeah, no winning, but second. <laughs> and uh, seventh in Liège. Okay. <laughs> I don't know, 3,000 UCI points. <laughs> That's what he would have had. I think 2,000 UCI points, second in flesh. And then I started thinking, can he top 10 a Grand Tour? And then uh, my wife basically said a very intelligent thing, which is that if you take a look at the top 10s of each Grand Tour this year, it is very hard to imagine that Valverde could have top 10 that because the level of the top 10s in Grand Tours this year was extremely high. Like the only spot the in the Vuelta... in particular. Yeah. Like Otterbrooks versus Carl Friedrich Hagen of 2018, you know? Exactly. Galopin 2016 or 17, whatever. Like, that's, that's gone. That's just not happening. Hermann Pench, Pench not in this year, he couldn't enter the top 15, probably. So, yeah. It's such a major deal. Even the Giro was relatively, relatively packed. Like, still, it's not godlike the Giro top 10 compared to the Vuelta, but the level was still to the point where I'm like, could Valverde have top 10 that on a, on a Giro parkour? I'm not so sure about that. So. Right, he, in the first rainy day, he would go, he <laughs> fuck this. <laughs> no way if I were to get around that Giro. No way. <laughs> They're a summer team. <laughs> <laughs> Man. He hates the cold. Yeah, he's older too, so he feels the cold more. He's like 45 years old. Uh, yeah. I actually think the Tour is the one he could have top 10 Really now? You don't think he could have beaten Guillaume Martin at 26 minutes 30 back? No. Guillaume Martin would have used his philosophy against Valverde, and Valverde would have been like, sure, you can place the ahead of me, I'm fine with it. But I think, regardless, he would have been, he would have been like a probably top 10 right, top, not top 10 rider, a top 10 percentile, a 90th yep. percentile rider is what I'm trying to say. He would have still been a very, very above average rider yes. in... Uh, 
in 2023. And I, I wish you Nzue hadn't talked him out of coming back for 24, maybe because him, Quintana, and Enric Mas, they could have recreated a massage photo yeah. in the past. It would have been uh, it's weird, toxic. Eh? Like, every time I see Mas and Quintana together, I get flashbacks and I think, oh, these were together in Movistar, but they never were, eh? No, Quintana they're not. Just before Mas joined, the year before he left. So Mas joined in 19, right? After yeah. Vuelta second, his first second Vuelta? Yes. Uh, um, how much do we care about the scenery when watching cycling races? I actually do. Uh, okay. For a very self-interested point, it makes it significantly harder to make a thumbnail, a successful thumbnail, in the majority of spring one-week races because it's all brown and dark green and mottled. And in fact, the easiest races to make th clean contrasted thumbnails for are in the desert, like Saudi Tour, <laughs> because it's the bright red jersey against sand. Yeah. So I do actually care. Also, yeah, like, I just like seeing different stuff. I'm all like seeing the different contrasts. Like, uh, everyone has their view on the desert races, but it is to see different stuff is interesting. TDU, I see different stuff, but I don't really care. Like, I'm not hanging out to watch a lake, you know? For me, I don't give a fuck about the actual scenery, but I enjoy there being structure in a race which can be divided by how it looks. As in, for example, they're outside of a city outskirts, they go into the city, you know that they're going to the city, there's that hill. So you can build yeah, yeah. an analysis on the podcast by remembering it much better where the riders were at which point in the race. Otherwise, the notes are a bit more extreme if it's in, in a city like Glasgow, just a crit circuit, and we have to guess like, oh, that was that corner or that corner, because they all look the same. So just for that self-interested reason, I don't give a fuck whether it's a forest or a a sandcastle they're riding through. Anyway. <laughs> I, I care a lot more about the weather and the like incumbent yeah. conditions. Yeah. Uh, so like we know that in the north of Spain, it's going to be cooler and it, it rains when we know down in, in Cadiz and Sevilla, it's going to be dry and 43 degrees. So like that stuff hey. I care much, much more about. I'm going to throw in a question, even though we've got loads of questions to go, I'm going to throw in a question and ask you. Back when it was COVID year, we said, oh, we're actually pretty fine with there not being an audience because they can't hinder the riders this time around, you know? That, that yeah. thought process we had at some point. Do you still think the same after having the audience back? Yeah. <laughs> I didn't expect that. <laughs> Look at Col de la Lois. What are they doing? Yeah. 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 Okay. This, this is the queen stage of the biggest race in the world. Stopping riders, GC riders who are all on their own. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, uh, next question. Why are many teams often still so tactically bad? I'll take this one on first and maybe you have an opinion as well. I think one, I think communication is something that will always go bad every now and then. And that's why there will always be some bad tactics in the sport. Like it's impossible to always communicate perfectly. That's, that's the case, number one. Number two, a lack of uh, structured self-evaluation as in if you have a structure within a team that you say, okay, after every race, we have, first of all, a meeting with the riders, figure out oh, what went wrong, but also like video analysis doesn't happen in every team. Race analysis by someone that actually watches the entire race, as in like, for example, you're at Total Energy. You're not going to tell me that they have someone that watches the entire race to analyze which parts of the race each of the riders made mistakes in to then learn for the next stage already what happens. Like those tiny type of things, that only happens at the top teams, I reckon. So that's, that's another thing. And I think if I think further of that, there's also the point of not being able to be critical enough to the DS's own decisions as the DS or riders towards their own actions. Because being self-critical is very vital to moving forward. And that's why I think it's someone sometimes useful to have feedback from outside yeah i think so i think yeah just a a, a feedback environment um yeah but also there's logistical reasons why you know you, we might be you might be sitting on tv watching oh why are they doing this why don't they know this why don't they know that ina rubio can kick like this or do that but yeah. that ds at that race might not have watched watched that they're in the car so it's difficult to know exactly what's going on so 
Um, also, re realistically, there's not enough staff turnover. We've seen a lot at Ineos yep. recently. They probably should be commended for it. Like, people just keep their jobs forever. Like, yeah. it's not like in football or American sports. Like, if your team underperforms for years relative to budget, A, no one really knows exactly if that's true, uh, and B, yeah, people just don't get fired ever. So, which is good loyalty is good in a certain way, but like, for example, as well, if you're the person that brings in the sponsor money, but then you're mm -hmm. also the reason the team is being held back from progressing in, the, in not just that area, but, you know, all areas, well... The main goal is to bring in the sponsor money. If you bring in the sponsor money and the results are bad, isn't that better than having good results with no sponsor money? So, yeah. it's sort of that—that's the way. Also, the, the way the sport is is structured itself maybe leads to that. Uh, how do we see the prospects and use of AI within cycling, Benji, for performance strategy and scouting? I found this an interesting question, as in there's so many usages of the buzzword AI in recent year with ChatGPT, but also expanding upon that where everybody's now talking about AI and people have kind of forgotten what is the difference between machine learning and AI and, and just an algorithm. For example, a regular algorithm, as in you've got a, a bloody table of data and you use a formula on that. Some people are going to say, oh, we used AI to figure out what the, the most talented writers are in that formula, in that document, even though it's just an algorithm that they tweak themselves. And if there's a self-learning process to it, then it kind of becomes the, the AI thing, whether they learn from previous experiences and so forth. And if I take a look at cycling, I think there's one main issue. And I think you will agree on this as well. Uh, from, a, from a manual analysis view next to the data analysis, from manual analysis as well, there's a lack of, in my opinion. As in, just thinking about position in the peloton, for example, and we've spoken about this a lot. Like, if you're thinking, oh, what would be the best position in the peloton to be in a lead-up to a sprint, for example? The amount of manual data scraping that needs to be done to be able to get enough data to be able to figure out what would be a conclusion from that, you also need that manual data scraping to even get to the point where you can use an AI model on that. So that's a basic example, but there's so many things in cycling where I think there's a lack of, lack of data to be able to do that. And... Do you, you reckon you feel the same in, in some shape or form? For video as well, like particularly with, yeah, video, as you said, like in theory. So in horse racing, people are already trying. I think Tom Wilson does it on Twitter. Oh, he doesn't do it mm -hmm. on Twitter. He's on Twitter as Tom Wilson. Uh, that you like, you have a machine learning model which shows horses at the sales before they've raced with their gait analysis, their walking analysis. And the machine learning model creates a prediction on how successful they will be as a racehorse yeah. based on their their walk. But that's trained on like thousands of horses, I think, or at least hundreds of horses, all doing the same walk up. And then you've got clear race, you know, you've got race results as well, uh, race times and prize money. So, and that's and also not ironclad. Whereas in cycling, mm -hmm. you know, could you create a the same biometric model which uh, looks at Pagacha during a stage and can tell that he's under real pressure based on training it on three data points, Von Tu, Grenon, and Col de la Lose. Like, is there enough footage of him beforehand? Yeah. Is that even, like, it's not enough, is it? Three, really. And then you have to train it against when he's going really well. Maybe you could try. I don't have the technical skills to do that. And also when it comes to the predictive AI models, for example, that you, that you spoke about for a second there. Yeah, if you're talking about horse racing, it's always similar parkours that they run, right? Or am I dumb? Yeah, it's always flat. Uh, it's, yeah, it's flat and it's between a certain length, you know. It's, it's a one to three minute event most of the time in Australia, two and a half minutes. So you'd, al you'd already have to like define characteristics of a route yourself? for the AI to know what they're looking for in the first place. Does that yeah. make, make sense? I think for it's video, it's really tough. In cycling. I think for video, it's really tough. For, for training and performance, I think there's more yeah. in it. Agreed. So if you can train a model to say, you put it, you train it on all these riders' power data, and mm -hmm. then you have their results as well. So this rider with this power data has this results. Then you can train it, you pump in, 
okay, prospect A has this power profile and data. Now you can still do it by eye and be like, okay, he's 10 seconds power is 1700 watts. I reckon he could yeah. be a sprinter. Um, 50 <laughs> seconds for me, 1500 could just win Ooh. anything, you know? Uh, but yeah, you pump it in, like this is what this, this is the range of expected results from this power profile, this rider, obviously then handling yeah. and everything comes into it. But, uh, Power data is pretty important. So that's where I think there's more in it. Um, I think so as well. As yeah, well. and nutrition maybe as well. I think that's an area where there might be things there as well. Like if you have a lot of data on on riders or athletes in general, then you might be able to benefit from that as well. But then we're getting to areas where I might not know enough but why about Why is the AI area so buzzy? Because like to me, machine learning know. models have been around yeah. for a long time. I've been reading yeah. papers and stuff, and especially as a degenerate gambler, you know, on horses yeah. and obsessed with the horses. Like machine learning stuff has been around for a long time. When I was doing, I did econometrics honors, and I like think... machine learning. It, why is AI so? Is it because I think I don't it's know, become slightly mainstream due to the amount of simplistic applications that people are bringing out right now. like chat gpt right yeah does that make sense okay. as in you don't have to be a mathematician to to figure out ai anymore you kind of have to like oh you've got an app for example on your phone and they want to try and apply that on the data they have in the app so they bring that out and i think in silicon valley there's this hype going on about about uh, ai ever since their bank went under <laughs> but uh, like i don't know it's i think it's it's part of just the the ongoing process of the like when it comes to AI, the whole aim is of obviously to to have an AI that is like getting closer and closer to what a real human could uh, decide and so forth. And I don't know how close we are and so forth because I don't follow it that closely. And maybe the closer we get, get the the more there will be usage of buzzwords surrounding. It. That makes sense. Yeah, I think as more applications come out that are uh, directed towards consumers, yeah, it's going to get more popular. There's more money in it, obviously. Uh, next question: Should cycling contracts run from December? I think this is supposed to be you mean run from December one to December one, rather than December thirty one to December thirty one. Uh, yeah, I think contracts should run actually from one November to one November because or thirty one October or thirty October. I don't know how many days are in October because yeah, they should be. The UCI season finished already. So the Hong Kong race was in the 2024 season. Yeah. That, those points from Perstelberger actually count for 2024. So if the UCI calendar has already finished, how are their contracts misaligned with their own calendar? It is so ridiculous that you have Roglic having to wear Yumbo kit at his Bora camp. He's like training fully integrated with that team. It makes no sense. So yes, Borders has said this, the contract should be 1 November to 30 October, and then we don't have to have this weird thing with different bikes and all that. And when you move it to 1 November instead of December, you also solve the issue of it changing in the middle of the CX season, which is now the case, right? Riders yeah. switch teams in the middle of the, of the cyclocross season, and that's also a, a partial consequence that. of that. So <laughs> I, I knew you didn't think of that. <laughs> but the 1st of November is therefore still a good solution, right? Because it's yep. before the season start when it comes to cyclocross. That's good. So I reckon that's a, a really good take, and that brings us towards the, the next question. Make two transfers in men's and women's cycling to make each more inter entertaining. I'm going to go first. Women's cycling... I'm just going to demote SD Works. Let's be honest about it. Yeah, Kopecky, what I was going to do. <laughs> Kopecky goes to Phoenix the Koenig or AG Insurance. Phoenix the Koenig, let's yep. be honest about it. They were more fun yeah, at the uh, tour. Sorry. I agree. And Wibbers goes to Jumbo Visma women's team. Fair enough. Yeah, I, that, that's, that was my one. It was splitting apart those three. It was splitting apart Volar yep. and Kopecky and Wibbers. I think it's inarguable that that would make it more exciting. You'd have then... When Kopecky on stage, one of the Twitter France Femme Avex with jumps, Vollering follows her, and then she yeah. sits on and like, how does that work? They're on different teams. And then Vibas, where's Vibas coming back? Has she got teammates yeah. to help her come back? She going for the sprint. It, it would be much better if those three were on different teams. So I, I can't disagree on the women's side. When it comes to the men's side, I'm going to do, I'm not even going to move Remco. I'm not even going to move Remco. I was moving, the one I was thinking about you. I'm moving Juan Ayuso to Ineos. 
And Keanu would that really just... make it that much more interesting? I think it would. I believe it would. And I would move Keanu Brooks away from Visma, even though he just joined. And I would, <laughs> I would. I, initially, I had a thought of letting him join Quick Step together with Remco. I would move Pagacha to FDJ. <laughs> Dude, don't you reckon that would be class? Where the fuck is Vio going? To fucking Cofidis or Arkea? <laughs> don't you reckon Pagacha on FDJ or Movistar would be cracked? We'd go to Elite out in the mountains. Yeah, it'd be cracked, man. <laughs> go to be like, I didn't like him in the elevator. <laughs> um, like, could you imagine the hype? Mate, I expect and you to that's move Jonas now. The, that's the ultimate boss challenge. Of, I expect you to move Jonas now. My other one was in, I had three, and then Remco to Ineos, and okay. then Van Aert to Quickstep. Van Aert to Quickstep. Nah. It would work, but... Yeah, that's uh, my ones. I would still move Vingegaard to Arkea. Yeah, okay. We, yeah, we move... <laughs> we move... Poggy to AG2R and Vingegaard to Arkea. Wow to Intermarche. Wait, who the we're fuck is we're, that we're socialists. We're socialists. We're trying to... <laughs> we're distributing the assets evenly throughout, throughout the peloton. This has become... Yeah, uh, yeah let's Is there podcast. a rider you want to put... That is somewhat washed now, you want to regenerate? Uh, regenerate. I'd love to see Balor on Yumbo. <laughs> I would fucking love it. Could you imagine me having to make videos for you, man? Imagine. <laughs> so, so Valverde. So we're looking at the LBL final of this year. You are currently leading out with 1.2 kilometers to go. This is not a great idea. <laughs> I actually will. I love power. Well, I love it. Regenerate. Who do I think's got more in the tank? Ooh. I do like Demar. He's a bit older, probably Benoit or something like that. Just Pino. I would love. I would love to convince Pino to come out of retirement and join Ineos or Visma. <laughs> Jesus Christ! Join I'd be the best, <laughs> dude. He was so good in it. He was so good. He came fifth yeah. in the Giro. Like he's still yeah. good. But I understand Should we have moved Arnold Lee to Quickstep? He's going well at Lotto. No, no, that's not. We're doing redistribution downwards. <laughs> so, yeah. Land yeah. at the Voice Cartel. Almeida the Glass Drive. Uh... <laughs> Winning the Volta Portugal by 75 minutes. <laughs> yeah, dude. Nah, he wouldn't, dude, he wouldn't beat Mauricio Moreira. Moreira <laughs> he actually would have difficulties. Moreira's better. But if he's on the same team, then. True, true. Nah, Marrera is so I will good. stop my sentence there. <laughs> uh, <laughs> if I speak, I'm in trouble. <laughs> if you could change the result of one stage, which would it be and why? Mine is easy. Stage 20 of the Giro 2016. I would have Chavez win that stage and win the Giro. I wanted Chavez to win that Giro, not, not nearly. I'm not talking to you anymore. <laughs> this podcast is I over. wanted Chavito to win. I, was, I would say that I'm going to change the Olympics in Rio. Because Vincenzo Nibali got brutally demolished by Sergio Inau in the in the descent, and he would have won yeah. the Olympics. And I'm sorry to get a fun Avermaet, but Nibali <laughs> take him over you any day. <laughs> so I'm taking away Giro from Nibali. You're giving him an Olympic gold. Probably, <laughs> do you reckon he'd make that trade? Because he already had a Giro. I right? think he would. I think he genuinely would. But would he have beaten Sergio Inau in the sprint though? Well, he probably drops him on the descent. He probably goes like full crazy mode. Yeah. Well, he did, he went full crazy mode into the floor. So true. Uh, I don't even think in all actually. I don't reckon. Him. Actually, I, think he I, don't, crashed now. I don't know if he makes the trade. That's an interesting question I'd put to him. He's an Italian he winning a second Giro. It's like three weeks, you know, of your life, and versus the Olympics, also, which is not a core. It was such a deep moment. I don't know. Many people won't know this because I mentioned it our first Q&A on the podcast, but the Giro that you're talking about, I was a fanatic Vincenzo Nibali fan, and one of my first activities on Twitter back in 2016, when I wasn't active on Twitter yet, I tweeted, 
on the rest day after the team after the time trial where Nibli had his bike issues after already being weaker than Steven Kreisbeck and so forth, already on a few minutes. I tweeted at him and I said, Vincenzo Nibli, he believing, I keep believing, you can win this. And he liked the fucking tweet and he went on to win the fucking Giro. And that is my origin story. <laughs> so you, you, you okay. can claim, Ark, and you, you're the reason you won. Um, yeah, yeah. I, I fully agree. What is one change Where's you'd love trophy, to make? Where's my trophy, Vincenzo? <laughs> Where's my trophy? I would love that Giro trophy. Don't you reckon it look good? <laughs> does, the Tour de France, does the Tour de France have a trophy? Yeah, they had a... It's like a, a fruit basket now. As in, it was back in the day, and then it oh, wasn't for a long it's portion. Like, it's like the Wimbledon Cup. I don't fucking know what a Wimbledon Cup is. Is that that's tennis, right? Yes, tennis. Okay. <laughs> I got a sport right. <laughs> uh, what is one change you'd love to make to the World Tour calendar? I'm going first. I am moving Roubaix away from RVV. Wait, 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 wait. Don't. I, I'm already feeling rocks being thrown at me at this very moment. I'm moving away Roubaix from the classics part early season, from, R from RVV away towards roughly October or something, and I'm adding a French run into it. Body Tour, GP, Denain, Trobe-Roléon is the run in towards Paris-Roubaix that betters the quality of the racing field at those races, makes them more important. That's number True. one. In addition to that, riding Paris-Roubaix for the likes of Pogacar at the end of the season is less risky, so you're more likely yep. to have Pogacar try Roubaix. A slight upside for some people will be that it could rain more. That depends on whether you want to see people crash or not. I'm on the meh part of that. I enjoy it every now and then, but I don't necessarily need it every year because a dry Roubaix can be pretty good as well. But I would also say that a second moment in the year where I can see the, the classics rider shine, that would make it a more complete year for me. And also, it would also kill the post-Velta suffering that I endure sometimes because sometimes I'm really not looking forward to Lombardia anymore because the last thing in the season and there's nothing else to it. It's just Lombardia and Italian classics and Adrubay to that. And I'm like, ooh, epic. Uh, and also the riders, the classics riders, like having to do second altitude camps and second peak, uh, there's not enough races for them as a trade-off for that. It's just worlds most years. This year yep. there's Olympics, but it's just worlds. Like it seems unfair to them. Um, and also like the classic spring, it goes from what? the 28th of february to when's opening weekend 28th february uh, last week of april i would say and when's roubaix the last week of april then 10th of april roughly next year it's a bit earlier yeah i would i agree now i saw le partier is sort of in favor of this and he was talking about moving rvv2 and i was like that makes oh, get the fuck out of here that makes no sense <laughs> no sense at all. Then you're putting three monuments and worlds in yeah. autumn. You're then having E3 Dwarz do a lead up to nothing. <laughs> it that makes no sense. And so yeah, <laughs> I, I agree. agree. So you, but you're I think Roubaix is the clear one. You've already got those French semi-classics that have a good if Paris Tour has a good history and um, they would be fantastic just to watch with, with full Paris-Roubaix startless. So um, they're already good races, so I'd love to see that. And, um, yeah. I can't disagree. The other one would be uh, a bit of, bit of con condensing. Bit of, bit of condensing. My separate one is, uh, I'll sort of, I'm thinking about doing up a PowerPoint on this, you know, with the, uh, the shuttering of GCN+. Plus. Like my, I believe very, very firmly that the best long-term option, this is nothing to do with the race calendar, but the best for, is this streaming, is RCS, Flanders Classics, ASO, joint venture, OT, over-the-top streaming platform owned by the race organizers. This is what F1 TV has. This is what the NFL has. This is what baseball has. This is what the NBA has. It cannot be that expensive or you you can might not even need to create your own app you could do a deal with amazon you could do a deal with youtube even youtube i'm sure youtube would do a deal with them but create a joint venture because at the moment it's like 
It's not like how the Premier League, the Bundesliga, and Liga and La Liga all sell maybe their rights to different people. No, no, no. Right now, it's like if the Premier League itself sold like a different, I mean, maybe they do sell different matches to different broadcasters. Uh, so that's, but I don't think that's good for the consumers. So they do sell it across uh, to different cable people. But it's, they, they got to create their streaming platform, joint venture. Ideally, it's their own app because then it's they get their customers directly for your domestic rights, which are still the largest. So, like the largest money they get. So, RCS, for example, the biggest single check they'll probably get is from the domestic Italian broadcast. So, in that country, free to air, do a blackout. No one cares. Oh, I can't watch the Giro on the app I paid for. You don't care because you can watch it on live free to air TV or. You do a non-exclusive or F1 TV, for example, in Australia, you can still watch the F1 races on the app if you have a Foxtel subscription, which is the cable network that paid for the F1 rights. You can still do things like that, but I think the race broadcast organizers can be best for them because the races are not really in competition with each other. Apart from Torino and Paranese, the races benefit from each other. The gacha is such a big draw for the Giro because he won two tours. You know, it's they're complementary. The only way they're in competition is when it uh, is in start lists. So getting people to the Giro who want to do the tour. Uh, even now, Pagash is doing the Giro Tour double. So that's the big thing I'd, love, I'd love to see. I still can't fucking believe you would tarnish the legacy of Vincenzo Nibali you would take the palmares of Los Qualo de Los... You'd, you'd drag it to the dirt and you'd give it after the one of the most epic comebacks in Grand Tour history that I saw and you would drag it to the dirt and give it to Esteban Chavez while there's a Dutch dude that, that rode into a fucking iceberg to give it to Chavez <laughs> in the first place. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, well... Maybe no one, no one will be able to watch it in 2024 in Canada. Oh. Uh, so, yeah, I think uh, that's what I would really change about the, the broadcast rights. Um, and there's got to be a way to make it work. And I think, who knows? Oh, maybe I'll do a PowerPoint. I'll do a deck uh, if I'm bored before <laughs> Christmas. Um, Here's my actually, um, My name is Patrick Bro, and this is what I would change legit. to the sport. <laughs> legit. Now, the tricky thing is how you split the revenue. How do you split the revenue from it? Is it based yeah. on hours watched? Is it based on who acquired the customer? That's the tricky part uh, yeah. with them. But that's what, that would be really, really good. And then, you know, you've got long-term thing because they're all invested in it because they own the races. And then you can get the smaller races. They've got the platform. They can, they can license their race up to it. Uh, I, I think, think that's all. all of it comes down to the fact that the sport is so decentralized when it comes to ownership of everything. That you have to have like an entire army of people around the table to be able to get everyone on the same line. <laughs> well, no, that's the problem. So if you want to buy, so if you want to buy Premier League rights, you yeah. deal with the Premier League rights team. Yeah. If you want to buy the rights to the World Tour calendar, you have to speak to like twenty different companies. Yeah. All with different broadcast agreements. And slightly different contracts. Of course, there's the three big ones, but like, I don't know what one cycling is supposed to do, but we'll just talk about like, they need to sell the world tour rights as a single package. It's Correct. very, very clear, like, that that is the most coherent way to do things. Um, and so that has to be, they need to all get together the world tour teams and sell it as one and then figure out how to split the revenue. But I would, Instead of hoarding the small slice of the pie, I'd be thinking, let's make this pie bigger by making it a coherent package to people. Uh, the problem is maybe SBS in Australia doesn't want the whole world tour rights because they only want the tour uh, or the Giro. And the so. stood on under. Yeah. Oh, no, it's actually on Channel 7. Uh, oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, fact-checked, Benji. You've got oh, seven that's what... channels? <laughs> no, we have many more than seven channels. We have Channel 9 and Channel 10. What the fuck? <laughs> what do you mean? That's a lot. Channel 9, Channel 10, Channel 7, ABC's on Channel 2, SBS. Okay. What have you got? Ein, zwei, drei, vier, 
confirmed? Is that That's German? That's German. <laughs> Close enough. We've got N. <laughs> We've got VTM, which VTM. is owned by DPG Media, which owns HLN, the newspaper, which half the fucking stuff is now owned by that company in Belgium. And they're now buying up a Dutch fucking channel as well. So we're having a half a monopoly going on here. Um, and I completely forgot what I was saying. I thought didn't Europe just Europe regulators just broke up the Figma and Adobe acquisition? I thought your regulators were supposed to supposed to nix that sort of stuff. Uh, anyway, we're all very off topic here. Uh, that we're out of questions. My last uh, thing is back to back to you. This is a Q and A. This yes. is an interactive Q and A. What would you like to see from us in twenty twenty four? Do you like our our ideas? about the uh, the way the content's panning out. What did you like in 2023? What didn't you like in 2023? We really do look at all the feedback and take it on board. Do you like the ideas we've proposed about RL content, weekly show, uh, and all that? So that's what uh, we'd, uh, we'd really like to hear your views. But we hope you have a very nice Christmas uh, and, and a happy new year. We'll, we'll keep rolling out the previews. And uh, yeah. That's oh, and you will have a restful holiday period. But thanks from all of us over at LFCP for the 2023 journey. It's been very, very fun, and uh, we'll see you shortly. Ciao.